0: Dave Hollis is a New York Times bestselling author, host of the popular Rise Together podcast, keynote speaker, and life and business coach. Dave's history includes CEO of a media startup, former president of sales for the film studio at the Walt Disney Company, a talent manager across film, TV, music, and publicity, research and technology in the entertainment sector. Dave is the father to four kids, a four-time foster parent, an avid runner, sports memorabilia enthusiast, and the proud owner of a 1969 Ford Bronco. Dave is releasing a brand new book called Here's to Your Dreams, a Tea Time with Noah. He wrote this book with his five-year-old daughter, Noah, to encourage her and anyone else who reads this book to believe in themselves, have courage, and chase after their dreams. Dave opened up to me in this interview about some of the recent challenges, failures, learning experiences, and paradigm shifts he's experienced in his life. We talk about entrepreneurship, parenting, relationships, finding your path in life, and really facing your fears in order to be the person that God intended you to become. Okay, we have Dave Hollis in the house today. I'm so excited about this. Dave, this is such a treat to be talking to you today. Thank you for being here. Oh, I'm
1: so happy to be here. I'm glad that we're like talking and you're also in one of my favorite places in the entire world, South Orange County, where I grew up. So um, I feel like there's a little bit of me returning to home and getting to talk to you where you are today.
0: Yeah, who knew? I had no idea you were from this area. That is so cool. Yeah. First, I had just have to tell everyone what a treat it was. The very first interaction that we had was when you sent me an advanced copy of "Get Out of Your Own Way." That was the that was your first book, right? And I was in—I don't know if you remember—I was. was in Hawaii reading it, and I did a little Instagram story. And then you replied with a video, and I was like, "What a guy!" Like you just got on the DMs and sent me a video and just said, "Hey, thanks so much for reading." My book and sharing it. And I was like, this is the first and only time I've ever had someone interact with me in that way. And it was just so cool. It was so nice and super thoughtful. So I've just always thought so much of you since that. I mean, I, I already thought a lot of you, but that was such a great human interaction that we typically do not get on social media.
1: Well, that's sweet of you. Also, and this might be news to people listen hears. who have Instagram followings. Yeah. They're also normal human people. Like, True. I, <laughs> I mean, like when I saw you receive the book, read the book, share the book, of course, I had a normal human reaction because it was my first book, which was like, man, I want to tell this person how much I appreciate the fact that she not only got it, but also read it. And uh, I, I'm sure that there was a part of my wanting to send a note that was also connected to. I really hope she likes it. I hope it's something that actually makes something of an impact. And um the fact that it did, it meant a lot to me. Yeah.
0: Well, if we have time, I'd love to touch on a couple of the things that, you know, are kind of in that book about your career and things that you learned. And it's a great book, but today we're We
1: talk all the things. Yeah.
0: Today though, we're here to talk about your brand new book. Here's Here's To Your Dreams. And it's tea time with Noah. So I cannot wait to talk about this. So, where did the idea come into play doing a children's book with your own daughter?
1: Well, what's crazy, it's funny that you bring up Get Out of Your Own Way because I think the idea of us starting to sit at a tea table and have conversations actually was born around the time that I was writing Get Out of Your Own Way because here I was talking about a whole host of things I was trying to unlearn, Mm -hmm. either in Programming that was given to me by my family of origin or programming that was handed to me by some societal definition of what masculinity means or what it means to be a real man and how those definitions of that programming was complicit in me getting my own way. And I thought, man, is there maybe a way for me as a dad to be a programmer that changes the way I have a conversation with a small person such that the way that they grew up with Capital T Truths is grounded in something that maybe makes obsolete their need to buy these books, mm. to need personal development, because they've only ever known a way of thinking that is empowered, that encourages agency, that challenges them to like let go of the worry of what other people might think, or reframes the way that failure is a bad thing instead of an instructive thing. We started having these conversations on an almost every week basis when she was still three. She's now five. Yeah. And I was taking all of these things that I had to myself unlearn and trying to teach them to her, but teach them in ways that her small three and then four and now five-year-old mind could appreciate. And what was interesting is that as much as it's challenging to teach a (laughs) three-year-old almost everything and also hilarious. There was something about trying to distill down these higher level personal development concepts that you might traditionally teach to grown adults that actually had the grown adults attaching to them or connecting with them because of the simplicity in which they were being taught. Yeah, it was cute. And yes, her reaction is always funny, but there is still kind of a universal nature to understanding that permission to chase your dreams or reframing the way you think about failure or the importance of pursuing health on a holistic level or whatever it might have been that we were talking about on any of those individual days, they have as much application for the three or four-year-old version of her as they do for the 34 or 43 version of you. Yes. We started having these conversations. There was something in the way they were being talked about that, man, felt like they were sticky. And my publisher and I had a conversation they were like, hey, are you interested in any way in thinking about how you might storytell some of these concepts at a super basic level such that the capital T truths you'd hope to instill in your young human might also be something that through the adventure and through the fun could potentially be taught to the young people of the audience that ultimately follows you or that are interested themselves in raising people to know these truths before the world tries to tell them and sell them their lies. And I was like, yes, I love this idea. We started with this concept of the pursuit of dreams. The book is called Here's to Your Dreams. And the the idea of chasing after your dreams or believing in your dreams feels like the right and best place to start, in part because... In the work that I've done, whether it was in individual coaching or in the groups that we run or just the interaction that I've had with people inside of social media, there were a lot of times where I'd have people represent that they felt like they've lost themselves, that somehow along the way, they're not sure who they've become. And the question I found myself asking, especially in one-on-one coaching situations, was who were you before you became who you've become? Like, what dreams did you have? What did you think of yourself? What calling did you believe God had put on your life before you were a wife, before you were a mom, before you were a dad, before you worked at this company, before some part of your identity was connected to the service that you provide to other people rather than yourself? because I think for a lot of us, as we become adults, some of the things that we have as dreams as younger people are things that we set off to the side that get chipped away at and dedicate ourselves to being a great parent or being a great partner or being a great employee. And those dreams still have value. Those dreams are still important. And in some ways, I'd argue that We were put here for super specific purpose by a creator that made us with very deliberate intention and that honoring the intention of that creator by actualizing those dreams is part of what we're here to do. But man, sometimes chasing after them, feeling we have permission to or that it's okay to is running up against the worry of what it might mean to pursue those dreams and still be able to be a good mom, and still be able to be a good partner, and still be able to be a good whatever it might be. I want to be able to, for my five-year-old or four-year-old or three-year-old daughter, who I'm sitting in a, a little table with having tea, I want her to know that, man, those dreams are there for very specific reason, And that you have a responsibility, an opportunity in actualizing them to fully become who you were placed here to be. And that there's going to be plenty of times when the world or the worry of serving others or the responsibility that you place on being something for someone else is going to challenge you into thinking that it's okay to put those dreams to the side. And it's just not. It's not an okay thing because in some ways, the decision to shelve those dreams comes at the expense of you being all of who you are here to be or, or could have been, if not, for the worry of what it might mean for them.
0: Right. Yeah, I really love that. And I really love the concept, too, of why are we not teaching kids this? Why are we waiting till they're adults to read self-help books and to unlearn all these things? Why aren't we? So I really wanted to ask you where the capital T truth thing came from, because I love that. It resonates. It, it feels right. But where did that come from?
1: Well, I mean, it came through a lot of exploration of my own understanding of why I believe what I believe that I do. Like, I grew up with really great parents. They were parents of faith. They're still married. They taught me certain things. And the ways of their working I was born in 1975. I'm 47 years old, right? Like, the ways of working between 75 and 85 during my formative years they did the things that were the best they could, important at their time, relevant at their time, connected to their values. And I I have to do something of an exploration on whether or not the things that were, were relevant between 1975 and 1985 still have relevance in 2022 and 2020 and 2018, right? I, I, I think for a lot of a lot of my you know kind of like early adult years without even questioning whether they had application i just accepted that oh the ways that i was taught whether it was inside of the church inside of my family of origin inside of the frame of what masculinity means inside of whatever it was it's right and then at a certain point as you're growing into becoming yourself you start to feel some friction and you have to ask like, oh, wait, are these my beliefs or am I adopting the beliefs of someone else who may have had my best in- interest at heart, but maybe disconnected from the truth of my experience, the relevance of my time, the values that I hold, the beliefs that I have. So I think as a, at a certain point in all of our own journeys, we transition out of the house we were raised in into the home we're trying to raise people in We have to ask, okay, which of the things that we grew up with still have practical application in the home, in the era with my life and my values and my now evolved belief in all the things that I believe in relative to what I was previously taught. And it's not to say that you can't hold both respect for what was given to you And an appreciation that there are certain components of what you were taught that may, in fact, be outdated programming. Because I think as much as someone may have done their very best, there's plenty of times where our family of origin in doing their best also brought with them their own echoes of childhood trauma, their own things that came out of their family of origin or their belief set a lot of what I would suggest in kind of the capital T truth business is like, what of what you believe is borrowed or or, or bestowed upon you? And what of what you believe has you having tested the hypothesis of what was offered to you, given the circumstances of your life, given the era you're raised in, given the beliefs that you have, given the values that you have? Given the relationship you have with God, given the calling that you feel pulled toward, such that you're able to sit in that friction, that you're able to challenge a little bit of what you grew up with, again, in a way that doesn't disrespect what was taught, but that holds space for there having been a place for what was and an openness for the possibility of what can be.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting to me because. I guess when I think of truth, there's a saying in our faith and in our doctrine, I guess, that, that truth can be circumscribed into one great whole. And I think of like concrete truths are very different than maybe culture or tradition or things that you're talking about. So when you say truth to me, I think of things that are timeless. Like it absolutely blows my mind that so much of like what Jesus taught still applies today. And there's no variation of like, well, this was good in the 70s, but this isn't relevant now because when it's truth, it's just everlasting. It's forever. It's a, you know, it's like these things like treat others like you would want to be treated. That's not going to vary. It's not going away. Yeah. Right, right. Or even what you're talking about, you were, you were put here for a purpose and to discover that purpose and to pursue your dreams and not feel I just feel like there's such a good versus evil and that the adversary wants to take us away from our purpose where God wants us to live our purpose and or the universe or whatever your higher power is so this is interesting to me to hear kind of your philosophy of challenge things discover for yourself and then find out what truth really is
1: I mean I'll give you a for example I take nothing away from the perspective that my mom or dad have on the roles that women and men play inside of a household when I was being raised in 1981 as a Mm six-year-old. At the time, the idea that my dad would be at the provider, my mom would stay at home, they would play those roles, like fantastic. And I was the beneficiary of a mom who was very present at home. And if anyone is listening and plays the role of a stay-at-home mom, I celebrate the heck out of you because you are doing the Lord's work and it is a hard job. And also, I'm not sure that my mom in 1981 even had a perspective on the possibility that there was a different option available to her as a woman inside of a Christian household For her to also pursue something dream-wise that may have extended beyond raising kids. Hmm. Now, as it turned out, right, I don't know that she would rewind and change a stinking thing. She ended up having a career as a nurse after her kids were all grown and out of the house. And also, I do think that for my daughter, Noah, at five years old in 2022... That there is a broader spectrum of what she can consider as possibilities for her as a woman today than maybe my mom was able to consider in 1981 when I was six, my brother was, my sister was five, my other brother was three, my youngest brother was one. Like she had five, four kids under five. I, her her worldview didn't include the possibility of, of considering certain things because Culturally, because timing wise, because of the way religion was influencing whatever it was, created something of a limited perspective that I think changing over the last four decades worth of time has maybe opened up the possibility that, hey, Noah Hollis, if you want to both be a mom and a business operator, go rule the world. And I think part of what's beautiful about time is that we get the invitation to ask, oh, Are the norms, are the things, are the rules, are the constructs of the structures that we were raised inside of 30 and 40 years ago still relevant today? Some of them are, right? Like there are some truths. I do think the golden rule applies as much 40 years ago as it does today as it will 40 years from now. And also, progress is progress. I hope that the way that there is more equality, there is as much invitation for dreaming for my daughter is there may have been 40 years ago for me as a son i yeah. hope that there's that continued progress such that we get to continually reevaluate what capital t truth looks like because the truth that existed in 1981 when i'm a 6 year old that was super true and also that truth feels like it's different in a better way in 2022 and i celebrate that
0: interesting Yeah, that's a great perspective. And I think that I love and really agree with what you're saying that we're, we're progressing in really good ways. I think a lot of times people kind of feel like, oh, the world is just going to crap and (laughs) and everything is falling apart that used to hold us all together. And, And while I think we have lost some good traditional values, we also are moving in really positive directions in so many ways.
1: By the way, I'm going to agree with you completely that there are absolutely trade-offs to any kind of progress. Yeah. I don't want to discount that like, hey, I am so grateful for the upbringing I had. Like being raised in what I would call a quote-unquote traditional household where my dad worked and my mom stayed home, it's the only thing I knew. And also, I love my mom. And I want to like celebrate and support that she is here as much for purpose and belief and dreaming and everything else as any other person ends up being. And if there's any part of the kind of cultural window inside of which she was entered into this world that compromised the full actualization of what she ultimately desired in her heart, man, I hope that progress is a thing that like allows for that to be a thing that's possible for her legacy that maybe wasn't available to her. And also, I love that my mom was home every single day when I came home from school. There's no changing that that's a thing that I've absolutely valued.
0: Right. And we've had a very similar situation as far as, you know, how my husband and I have had our life unfold in a, in ways that we never would have pictured the way, in a completely different way than what we planned when we first got married. And it's been one of those things where we look at this and we go, this is better than what we would have planned. Yeah. God's plan was better than ours. Okay. So I'd love to move on to learning from failure because I feel like you are a champion of this and you have been <laughs> consistently in all of the things that you've put out in your books and now in a children's book, which is super cool. So Talk to me about that and what you really want Noah to learn and other children too who read this book.
1: Well, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm talking, I mean, this is maybe too real time, but like I'm talking to you three days removed from having gone through one of the more incredible experiences of my adult life in attempting to do something that I did not expect the outcome of it to be what it was. And that I, I put myself into a physique competition, a bizarre thing. Just on the surface, (laughs) let's be clear. It's a weird thing to say, like, I'm going to sign up for... Is
0: that the name, a physique competition? I wondered what, like, the actual
1: proper name is. I'm so new to this sport. I don't even know what the actual name is. All (laughs) I know is that I signed up for something not fully appreciating what I was signing up for. And I signed up for it, I can even say now, for some reasons that were not the real output that I ended up getting from it like I signed up for it mm. thinking it'd be fun. I signed up for it thinking it might be a cool compliment to a fitness challenge that uh, Heidi and I were doing. I signed up for it I'll be honest in some ways thinking, oh, it'll be cool to bring the the audience that I have along on this journey yes what I come to find out I mean this is going to be the longest answer to a very simple question that you asked but, What I come to find out is, oh, wait a second. I, at the very beginning, decided I had to do this without actually broadcasting the details of the progress because of some insecurity of whether or not I could actually do the thing that I'd committed to. Hmm. And what I didn't realize in the decision to do it in the dark was how important it might be for me to realize that, oh, wow, hey, Dave. How much of what you've done in these last handful of years as a semi-public figure was done for performative purposes and not for personal growth purposes? Doing something for myself, as it turned out, revealed so much about what previously may have been motivating me, not ideal things, but also how much beauty could come in doing something not for the way that others might respond to it, but maybe more importantly for the way that I might feel about it. When I was the only one that knew whether or not I was showing up for myself or not. Hmm. But the question was about failure. <laughs> no,
0: that's, that was really interesting perspective.
1: I brought it up originally because I got to this stage after a good five months worth of training, as much as it may have been in the dark. And when I arrived to the, to the competition on Saturday, it was very clear, very quickly to me and my fear and my insecurity that I was uh, not as uh, qualified as the rest of the people that were participating in my heat. As much as I'm a 47-year-old person and I was wildly, markedly in the best shape of my life, and as much as I had worked harder to get to this stage than I had for almost any other thing that I'd worked for. Of the 12 people in my heat, Mm -hmm. it felt very clear to me that I was in 12th place. And there is a history for me of having avoided things that I might not have placed well at. Mm -hmm. And in this situation, bizarrely, it wasn't about where I was going to place because the competition wasn't so much with the people in my heat as it was with me and the person I was when I started the journey. And in finishing and what I'm gonna argue is last place, they didn't like pass out a last place ribbon, though I would have gladly taken it correct. As much as they didn't pass out a last place ribbon, it was such a gift to finish behind the pack and know that I could still feel proud of being there because of the way that I gave everything I could to get there. And the way that my appreciating that my six months of the hardest work I'd ever given still wasn't really comparable to the five years and the eight years and the 12 years of work that the other people in my heat had given at that same mm. time. Right. In some beautiful ways you could call finishing in last place a failure. And I only saw it. I mean, trust, it took a little bit of work to not feel like, oh, man, am I going to make a fool of myself? Or, oh, man, did I buy off more than I can chew? I saw it as hyper-motivating. It felt so encouraging for me to be okay being bad at something at the beginning of my journey because of the perspective that I was only six months into something that someone I was standing next to was five years into And this reminder that, hey, just because you're new doesn't mean that your result, your progress, the way that you look relative to anybody else has anything to do with anything unless you assign value to it that robs you of the appreciation of work that it already took to get here. Yeah. So for my daughter or for anyone like it was such a beautiful life lesson for me but like i want my daughter to appreciate more than anything that failure is nothing more than information right the information in this challenge that i just walked through was you're going to need a lot more time and as much as you may have questioned some of the process trusting the process and being as disciplined as the the process requires is the way that you can actually get a little bit closer to those that are competing inside of this higher level that you're aspiring for. So failing for me, as it were, I mean, failing, I'm using air quotes because I've usually used it as a negative word. I -hmm. use a positive word here because I'm like, man, I'm so encouraged. I'm so inspired to go do this again, knowing what I now know that I could have never known if not for the fact that I did it for the first time and did it imperfectly, did it for the first time as a beginner, as an amateur, and was able to learn how I'd have to do it differently or better because of the way that I was willing to do it, even though I didn't have expertise or didn't do it perfectly. If you want to get better, if you want to grow, the only way that you can do it, literally the only way, is to reframe the way that you think about not getting it right the first time or failing. Yes. That failure, all it is, is information on how you can be better. And when you can divorce yourself from, oh, this is an indictment on me not being good or an indictment on me not being enough. Nope. You're good enough. You just don't have enough. You you haven't had enough enough plate appearances. You You haven't swung the bat enough yet to fully appreciate all the things that you're meant to appreciate to move to the next level. Okay. What is this trying to teach me? What am I meant to learn? And so like the more that you can change failure as a thing that in some ways indicts you as not being enough instead into a thing of, oh, it's the prerequisite for what you need to get to the next level. It changes your appetite for walking toward it and embracing it and enjoying it, even if it feels like crap while you're going through it. uh, Right. actually get to that next level.
0: You really, I am gathering from this, you are thinking you might do it again? Or is it kind of like, don't ask me. I just had a baby. Oh,
1: no, no, no. (laughs) This is not a, I'm still in the labor and delivery room and I'm uh, using mesh underwear and someone is spritzing me. No, no, no. I'm doing it again. And awesome. the crazy thing is I'm doing it again because, and and this will maybe sound crazy to someone like, I know that I just worked harder at something that I have worked in such a long time. And I also have an insight to where I didn't actually work hard enough. And Mm. I can say that without recrimination. I can say that without feeling bad about myself. I still did my best. And I also know that there were times where I didn't appreciate that Being a little squishy about this thing or that thing around nutrition or being a little squishy around this thing or that thing around the workouts, I thought it wouldn't have an effect. I I was explaining to a buddy of mine yesterday. This is a privileged thing for me to say, but I have been given a lot of gifts from God. And some of what I have been given has afforded me this ability to get away with my humor or my quick wit or my height, Mm -hmm. or my charisma, or whatever, smoothing over having had to do as much work as someone else might have had to do to get the same result. And the beauty of this sport is that this sport doesn't care how
0: tall,
1: funny, (laughs) or charismatic, it doesn't care. And in a world where sometimes you don't love the way that you have to learn, like I'd love there to be a shortcut I'd love to be able to humor my way or charismatically get through what it takes to have the kind of result that I'd hope for. There's something really beautiful about being, I'm going to cry about it, it's a very strange thing, but like there's something beautiful about being reminded like, oh man, I feel more proud of myself than I've probably ever felt in my entire life because I know that this sport didn't accommodate My humor or height or charisma or anything else, it only accommodated my effort. And the way that I feel about myself is directly tied to how I kept promises to myself or how I showed up for myself. And that as a learning on the aftermath of having finished last is like, oh, well, how might you feel about yourself if you actually Did even, were even more compliant, as it were, to the the discipline demands of a sport like this. And I'm not about restriction. I'm not about, I'm not about those things. But also, I've got a freaking addictive personality. Like I thrive in an environment where someone can tell me, do this, don't do that. So I get excited about, oh, what might it mean? Like, what more might my body do? How better might I feel about myself? Because here's the thing, like a fitness competition, it was not in any way about how I looked. It was about the way that I felt about myself for knowing that I did what I was asked to do. And that has just been everything. What a strange, like, little sidetrack out of a conversation about failure. But...
0: No, I love it. It's so applicable.
1: Yeah, super, like, hot on my mind at this point.
0: So this is something that I am constantly trying to figure out and finesse. And we have four kids and one more coming. And I feel like oftentimes we're put in situations where one of my kids feels just devastated because something didn't go their way. As a parent of four kids and Noah's your youngest, right? So you've done this with all the others. How do you deal with your children's failure and teaching them just what you applied in your own life. But how do you do that? With-
1: well, it's tough. I mean, like I've I've written about this in books before. I remember my oldest, Jackson, who's now 15, he was running for president of his student body at one point. He had a great campaign slogan, Better Together. Like who doesn't want to hire or or elect someone who's got a campaign slogan called Better Together? Goodness gracious. But Not
0: that you're biased.
1: <laughs> not that I'm biased, but uh, let's elect this guy to student body president. And I can remember the night before the election, I very much had this like tortured, what am I rooting for? Because, yeah, I want my kid to put out his best effort and I want him to win. And also, what would best serve him for the rest of his life? And the reality is the best thing that would serve him for the rest of his life is losing a thing that he put a lot of effort into so that he can grow from it. And he ended up losing the election. I think it was rigged. (laughs) But the headline is like, of course, it like provoked such richer conversation for the opportunity to talk about what he could have done differently or how he was going to compose himself in the aftermath or whatever it might be. And so for me, I don't want my kids to experience pain. And also, I've only ever grown in uncomfortable situations. I've only ever become a better version of myself through something that I, to be honest, like wish wouldn't have necessarily happened. Yeah, I, was, I was having a conversation with someone this morning. You can be a person who prays and you can have a lot of faith. And then you reach this like strange threshold where you don't like the idea that you don't get a say in the way that the prayer gets answered. Yes. So many times, like the thing that I'm praying for and the way that it is being delivered are just completely disconnected in my mind. And I get frustrated because I'm like, why? God. Would you force me to have to go through this thing? And God's like, because I know things that you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Burger King. I don't get to have it my way. And I don't yes. like to experience pain. And yet there is very much, as a Steve Jobs quote in a great commencement speech. He said, hey, you can only see the way that the dots connect looking backwards. And I try to explain to my kids that like, hey, you may not understand why you're going through what you're going through. But I promise you in six months, I promise you in 12 months, I'll give you an example in my life. I'll give you an example in my career. These are the things that I prayed for that I hoped would happen in this way. And then when they happened in that way, I was angry or frustrated or cried or all of those things. And then six months went by and I was like, oh man, glory to God. It actually had to happen this way for me to have this breakthrough. It had to happen this way for me to grow this way. It had to happen this way for me to draw closer to God. It had to happen this way for whatever reason it was. And they don't want to hear that because they want to go to Burger King too. <laughs> They're like, yep. what are you talking about? I don't want to delay the gratification of when I'm going to feel good about this thing or that thing. And yet I think maybe because of my own experience in my own life, certainly in these last handful of years, when my kids go through hard times, I want to walk alongside them, but not help them avoid necessarily the pain. When we were training to become foster parents, they have to do a lot of classes so that you could qualify as a home that could have a foster child come to your house. The most important thing I think I listened to in the 70 hours worth of time that was required before you could have a foster kid come to your house this person came in and said, Your responsibility when you are a foster parent, is not to fill the hole that is grief, that is pain, that is trauma this child is walking through. It is not your job to try and fill it so they don't have to walk into the valley of it. Your Mm -hmm. job is to hold the hand of that child while they walk through it. And there is application with my own kids today, with the people that I love in my life today, same kind of thing. And I have a people pleaser kind of problem in my life. Like, I want to fill that hole. I don't want them to fill that pain. And the pain is the reason, like not the reason, but the pain is the recipe for them to have the experience of the growth and have the prayer answered they're desperately hoping for, even if it's uncomfortable and even if it sucks. So, my job isn't to take away the gift that is the experience of having to walk through that pain. My job is to hold their hand while they go through it.
0: Beautiful answer. You created such great imagery with that, that it made me think of how one of my favorite things previewing the book is the illustrations in the book are, I don't know how this person nailed it, but they nailed it. It looks just like you and it looks just like Noah in all the illustrations. I was just thinking about that and I, I wondered what was maybe the most like magical or gratifying part of this experience with Noah? Was it like opening the book for the first time or seeing those illustrations? Or what was the what was the thing that was most fulfilling about this experience with her?
1: The most fulfilling thing is that this has been a conversation and a project that we've been talking about for a very long period of time. Mm. As much as it's like, it feels a little bit like, oh, look, it's coming out. No, no, no. This has been two years worth of time, conversations and meetings and sketches before actual drawings and then writing. And then what do you think of these words? And that is a cool part of the experience, but like for sure. And I have it on video because of course I have it on video. (laughs) Opening up the book that came for the first time in a UPS box and the look on her face is it's going to be one of like the top moments of my life at the end of my life, because she has this ecstatic, it's here, but also there's a pride for like, it's me on a book. It makes me want to cry. There's me represented in a book. To be able to take this thing that was such a cool thing that we were just doing to do That ended up being received in a really beautiful way by the internet community to have it come to life on a page where she, like we were, this is so crazy, but like the, the night after the fitness competition was done, I brought Noah and one of my other kids was able to go. Two of my kids had baseball and theater, but my younger two were able to go. So they're in the audience of the actual fitness competition and we finish. And of course, if you have any insight into what this entails, the first thing you do after you get off stage, you go eat all the things. <laughs> so we went to the Cheesecake Factory and there were a handful of people from our community that came into town to cheer and yell and scream and take pictures. And it was so beautiful. And now we're sitting at the Cheesecake Factory. And Three of the women that were sitting at the table were like, oh, my goodness, Noah, I pre-ordered the book. And she leapt out of the booth and was like, daddy, daddy, she has that book. She has our book. She has our book. And I was like, oh, the ownership and the excitement that my five-year-old gets to have in meeting a stranger who was just saying like, oh man, I'm excited to read this thing that's about you. I was just like, "Ah, oh, this makes me want to cry. I mean, like I was very emotional for a whole host of other reasons coming off stage. <laughs> but there's something so cool in being able to see your child be so proud of something that they were participant in creating and so excited in other people getting to experience or read or enjoy a thing that she was part of. It's just been everything. It's like it. Also, I'll be honest. Like, it's begged this question: like, well, what am I going to make with Ford? I got to do something with Sawyer, Jackson, and I got to go do like you know, like I'm like well, I got do. I want to do something with all of my kids in the same kind of arena. Not necessarily in writing books, but like the pride that comes in cooperative work is so rad. And I hope that every parent gets a chance to experience it.
0: That is so cool. Well, you've had so much experience. There's just not even enough time to talk about all these things, but you've worked for Disney and you were the CEO of a media company. And so you've seen all of these different ways to create things and the possibilities. And it is really, really cool that you've created a children's book that is going to infuse that same knowledge and those things that it seems like are most important to you to teach your kids into one very simple to understand children's book for so many other children to learn from. So I think that is really cool.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited about it. Honestly, it's like, it's the coolest thing. I am I'm like, I've got like a, uh, an assembly line. I got a handful of books sent over ahead of time. I have Noah, Noah and I have signed them. You're getting them, So congratulations. You're getting an autograph Noah Hollis book. But it's such a weird thing to be so proud and not a weird thing. It's a rad thing. It's such a, like a cool thing to get to do work. Where you get to wake up and you're like, man, I'm so proud of this thing that I created, that we created, that we get to do, and the hope that by having someone read it, they're going to maybe, maybe, fingers crossed, not have to work as hard to unlearn something that society or the patriarchy or their family of origin or whatever it might be might have otherwise ingrained in them. Because of what hopefully is this permission to dream, and I like I, I dig that.
0: I love that. All right, I have one last question for you that I always like to ask, and that is: if there's one message that you want people to remember from this podcast episode, what do you want that one message to be?
1: From this podcast episode? Oh, geez. Well, here's the thing: I'm going to I'm going to go back to my traditional well on this one because I do. Find myself still having to look at the tattoo on my arm on an almost every single day basis. So I I, this tattoo, it says, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. I got it as I was leaving a corporate job. I've been at Disney for 17 years in the corporate environment for more than 20. And I needed to remind myself that I was created for purpose that would require me leaving comfort and security for the wonder and the growth that can come in the choppiness of the waters that exist outside of that dock. And yet there's plenty of us and I'm among them that convince ourselves to either stay inside of suffering that we're familiar with or stay inside of comfort that we know because of our disbelief that we can handle what exists out in those choppy waters. And I just would say to anyone who's listening that you we're built for this, that like there is purpose placed inside of you that commands you to the choppiness of the waters. And it will be a thing that you can unlock and unleash and gift to other people as soon as you believe you are worthy of being out there at sea. The idea of like, here's to your dreams in some ways, comes back to this belief that a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what you were built for, that you were built for these dreams, that you were built to do this greater work. And that as soon as you yourself believe it, the world just expands exponentially. There's abundance that comes to you. Is it scary? Of course it is. Is it jarring? Of course it is. Will you feel unmoored and uneasy? Of course you will. But also, that's where you actualize all of what you were put here for this intention of a creator who knew before you were even here of what you were capable of, you've been put here for just huge and unbelievable, great reason. And now it's time for you to fully actualize it. Believe that you can believe in in those dreams and believe that you can handle the choppiness of the waters that exist because you were built to handle them.
0: I love that so much. All right. I'm going to break my tradition. Usually I end on that, but I'm super curious. That was the last question. It well, it usually is, but I'm super curious. So what's next? I really now that you've built up all of this courage and there's so much potential and get out of the dock (laughs) mentality. So I just really want to know what's next for you.
1: You know what's interesting? This last year has been a really wild year for me. Really, really wild. I have slowed down a lot and I have had to really draw closer to God in, in asking and understanding like what best serves me. And As much as, man, I love the community that exists in this public life that I have, there are components of it that don't really serve me. And so I have been really shifting a lot of my time into how might I best use some of the skills that I have, some of the passion that I have in the service of others in ways that still manage and maintain my pursuit for good mental health for sobriety, for connection to my kids, for a whole host of things. In the last six months, I have... First, I, do- I toe-dipped <laughs> with a couple of uh, nonprofit organizations, and now I've expanded to three for-profit organizations. But I've had a lot of success as an integrator that comes alongside a visionary. There's a really cool book if you're a, if you're an entrepreneur you're you got a side hustle you want to make it into a business but there's a great book called Rocket Fuel.
0: Oh, I've heard of it.
1: Yeah, it's such a good book. But like the thesis, the like kind of hypothesis of the book is that there needs to be two people or two kinds of people inside of any kind of successful venture. There needs to be someone who casts the what, the visionary. Hey, this is what I think we should go do, and then there has to be someone who operationalizes the how. And I have, whether it was at Disney and working with the filmmakers, the heads of studios, as a talent manager trying to manage talent in entrepreneurship with my ex-wife trying to build a company, I've been a pretty successful how person. Like I'm an integrator just by nature. I have been coming alongside other people whose visions I respect, trying to understand their what where their plateau is what puzzle piece is missing the gaps that need billing the all the things so that I can in kind of Avengers kind of way pair their Visionary power to my integrator power and help them create something of a breakthrough I've got <laughs> I've got a little small roster with a no team kind of approach and it's been so so fulfilling so so cool I'm still writing stuff I'm still doing my podcast and I enjoy it but I think just, again, like for the sake of where I can best deploy my skills and for the sake of preservation of my own mental health, I'm probably going to keep spending more and more time in the uh, not public or less public space. I mean, I'll intermittently come on and tell a joke or something because, I mean, you got to. But I don't know. like. I, Public public life is for a lot of people, and I'm not sure that it's necessarily for me, and I'm okay with that.
0: <laughs> and I really respected that when you took a step back and you were open about that, and it's just something that I think a lot of people in that situation, and I myself am in a little bit of that situation, you feel kind of tethered to this is once you're in that spotlight, if you step out for even a minute, it all might go away. And so I, I just thought that took a lot of courage and, and it's been really cool to see that you came back in a way that seems like it's been a lot more conducive to, like you said, your mental health and your sobriety and things that are really important to you. And I've just really admired and respected the way that you did that. And I think it's opened up my mind also to oh you can prioritize these things and still still do big things still be successful still do what you feel called to do so i think you've done a beautiful job of that
1: well thank you i'll finish with this because it's uh, i don't even know how i said this out loud before but it's a it's a real time realization in a world where i myself have asked plenty of times god why why like why did this have to happen the way that it's happened why why do i got to make dumb mistakes why do i got to Lean on bad coping mechanisms. Why? What's interesting is I think there's some part of me that did have the public perception and my love for myself connected in a super unhealthy way. As in, I could love myself when things were good and I couldn't love myself when people were critical. If I had a prayer, now we're really getting into therapy, I'm going to have to send you $145 when this... (laughs) Uh, if I had a prayer, right? If I had a prayer, my prayer was, oh, man, I want to love myself as I am, right? And God was like, okay, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I want. And he's like, okay, but I'm going to have to strip everything that you have allowed yourself to be defined by away, so that bare from them, you can be present with you and come to love yourself as you are irrespective of what they say. And I was like, wait, wait, hold on, what? And then boom, 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 right? In a really, really beautiful way, like I, again, I wish that I didn't make mistakes. I wish I didn't have to learn things. What seems at times like the hardest way possible, I'm so grateful that my prayers have in so many ways been answered again, even if it wasn't through... Means that I was hoping that they would be answered. I thought I was just going to like show up to a like a TED talk and be like, (laughs) "Man, I got it! Like everything's great." No, like, oh, I had to like have a lot of ego and have a lot of reputation and have a lot of things that I had previously afforded weight to stripped away for me to connect to something that was more meaningful and had more longevity than the opinions of others or the wave of public sentiment. And there's beauty in that. And I don't like want to have to go through having it stripped away again because it sucks. And also, I'm the grateful beneficiary of it having been stripped away because I actually have access to loving myself irrespective of the cheering or the booing that wouldn't have otherwise existed if I didn't get to go through what I did. Thank you, God, for answering my prayers.
0: Well, and we've experienced very similar things too. And I'll I'll tell you this really brief version of this story. But my husband is a recovering addict. And at one point, he just was like, I've tried all the things. I've been to therapy. I've done outpatient rehab. I've done everything. Nothing's working. So he finally, and he didn't tell me this until years later, got on his knees and said, God, whatever needs to happen, let it happen. And then he lost his job a few days later. And he still says that was the hardest trial he's ever been through, including that, that was more difficult than losing two of his brothers in different points of his life. So that was a huge thing for him. But it, it's very similar to what you're talking about, where all of the worldly value that the world gives on your career and your title and who, what do you do was stripped away. And then he was able to have. God give him the humility to find his true value, his true self, and is now just so confident in who he really is. And it's really, really cool to see, but very painful to go through at the time. Uh,
1: By the way, part of his confidence comes out of this being the episode that he doesn't have to edit. And I'm so, so happy to give him this gift.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is very true. Well, Dave, this has been so wonderful to talk to you. And I really, I have like 15 other questions, but we'll just have to, do it have to ask Why you some not? other time. Yeah, I'd love that. Sure. So where can people pre-order your book and where can they follow you, listen to your podcast and all these things that you have to offer?
1: Well, I mean, number one, the book is called Here's to Your Dreams. I'll hold it up just in case this gets broadcast anywhere. There it is. Love it. TearsToYourDreams.com is the website. There are a bunch of cool things that you get when you pre-order the book. So if you go there, drop your information in as to where you pre-ordered, get all your bonuses. It'll make you excited and happy. And also, uh, if you do it in the short term, you get a chance to win one of the autographed copies that we're sending to Corinne. So you can have a, a book signed by Noah. I have a podcast, it's called Rise Together. It comes out every single Thursday. You can listen to it wherever podcasts happen. And as much as I've pulled back quite a bit on the old social media, Mr. Dave Hollis is my handle on Instagram. It's still the place that I spend the most time and I would love to have you as a part of my little community.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, Dave, for all of this, all the wisdom that you offered today. And that was just such a treat and a delight to talk to you.
1: Of course, I'm so glad I could be here. I love you and your fam and your necklaces. I mean, like, I don't even want to talk oh, for real, I mean, Hattie lost one of the rainbow necklaces at one point. I thought the world was going to end. So like, we got to figure things out.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. And we'll send, we we need to send some more. That was not me
1: soliciting you for a rainbow necklace. Absolutely. No, (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'll give, I'll give it to you. And then you can pretend like you got it for her.
1: Ooh, this is a great idea. Yeah. Perfect. Appreciate you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages.